listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Good morning. That was a mic check. I just wanted to make sure it was on. <laughs> I did want to say good morning, though. Good morning to everybody. You already got all that. I'm like totally not paying attention to what's going on here. I might seem a little out of it today. I am, uh, we went to Mexico last weekend and I came home and I didn't eat anything bad in Mexico, but when I got home, I had the stomach flu. You probably didn't want to know that, but I thought I'd tell it to you because um, it explains why I'm going to sit in a stool and hide behind a, a music stand this morning because um, I may fall over sometime during the middle of this. So let's pray that doesn't happen. Let's pray that supernatural great healing will take place right now because, cause yeah, because I'm excited about today. Um, I'm excited about today because we are we're, uh, getting into this series about um, spiritual disciplines that we're calling habits of grace. And I'm excited about it because, um, well, for one, just because I, I just get excited about those, the things that make up the spiritual disciplines, um, the word, prayer, and fellowship. Um, I get excited about it, too, because we are doing this series, and it coincides with the way we're running our studies in grow groups. So who's, who's in a grow group? Okay, if you're not in a grow group, I want to highly encourage you. See that woman right over there? That's Teresa. Teresa, can you wave everybody? That's Teresa. She will sign you up for a grow group, because it's amazing what happens in those grow groups um, as we delve deeper into God's word and in fellowship and in prayer for one another. Um, I'm also super excited about today because um, we're not doing these spiritual disciplines, the habits of grace, alone. Because discipline scares the crud out of me. Whenever I hear the word discipline, it kind of causes a a tingle to run up my spine. Doesn't it, I mean, do you feel that way about discipline? Whenever you hear discipline, like you get that, this image of like, for me, it's the, the big paddle that my principal used to have mounted on his wall in his office um, because I grew up in an age where they can still spank you in school, which is um, scary, but especially if you saw my principal, six foot four, Mr. Graves, he was giant. Anyways, um, but discipline brings about these images of, of not great things, but the reality is, is, it, is that disciplines and habits of grace are things that are necessary to help us, to help us grow. And... And the great thing about this is, is we're not going to do this alone. We get to do this together. Because, honestly, the habits are hard. And as one of my good friends once told me, uh, Hal Schrader, um, hard things are hard. That's, that's the truth. I mean, there's, no, there's nothing else. I mean, what simpler thing could be said, right? But the truth of the matter is hard things are hard. They're not supposed to be easy. We're so used to having things come upon us in an easy sort of way, but the reality is disciplines and habits take time to develop, and there really isn't in a secret formula. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself. I know I, I may have shared this with you before. I am what they call a water person. Do you guys know what I mean by a water person? It's not because I drink a lot of water. I probably need to do that. I'm kind of avoiding it today, but, um, but I'm a water person. I love the water. I, I grew up in it, and I grew up on it. I grew up around it. Water was just always a part of my life. 
Um, so I travel a lot right now, so when any time I get the opportunity, like let's say there's a water, like a, a source of water near where I'm going to be, I always make a habit of going and at least putting my feet in the water somewhere. It might be a river, it might be an ocean, it might be a stream. I've dipped my feet in the Bering Sea. Um, I've, I've, I've swam in um, the Strait of Hong Kong um, and countless rivers and lakes all over this fine country. And there's just something about it. But one of my favorite things to do is just to come home and be in the ocean, whether it be Huntington Beach or somewhere in San Diego. I just, I love to, to get in the water. Um, I, mean, I, I wade in and, and I dive through the breaking waves. And my favorite thing to do is to go beyond the waves to where my feet can no longer touch the floor of the ocean. And I'll just lay on my back and just let the waves do their thing just kind of indulating and going up and down and just carrying my body and it just, for some reason, it just does something for me. I feel the power and the strength of the ocean and my smallness in it and it reminds me of the grace and amazingness that we find in God. As a kid, though, the ocean kind of scared me. I would stand on the shore and maybe wade in a little bit, let the waves chase me back and forth because I was like this big. But my mom or dad would take my hand and and lead me into the water a little bit and, until I'd be like waist high and the waves would kind of lap up against me because we'd go to Doheny. It's kind of like this no wave beach. Um, and I remember after the initial shock of the cold water hitting you and you're like, ah, I would squeal with delight because just something about the waves hitting and pushing you around was just, it just brought this amazing joy to me. And then later on as I was growing up, I learned how to duck dive. Anyone know what duck diving is? Have you ever duck dive? It's when the waves come in and instead of letting the wave knock you over and fill your underpants with sand, you dive under the wave and then up through the back of it. And there's just something amazing about that. But, but that's the way how you can get out past the breakers out into the actual ocean. And I just remember, you know, after I learned how to do all that, the crashing waves, didn't matter how big the ocean was, it just, the way, or how big the waves were, I just was just, ah. Uh, and it just was this joy and how I can just enjoy that. You know, God's grace is like the ocean. It can seem really overwhelming at times, and sometimes it's intimidating, and it can actually cause us to maybe be a little bit of afraid, a little afraid. It's so big and we're so small, so a lot of times we stand on the shore admiring the power from, from the sand, but never really getting wet, never really getting soaked by it, never getting to really feel the power. We get to hear it from a distance, but we don't ever get to experience it lifting and rising and carrying our very souls. I think that if we really want to experience the joy found in God's grace, we need to wade into it. We need to place ourselves in the way where the waves of mercy and grace can begin to soak us. And that's really what this series is kind of about like Jason mentioned last week. It's about placing ourselves in the way where God's grace can get to us. It's not like the grace isn't there. The grace has always been there. It's all over the place, but too oftentimes we don't align ourselves in the way to where we can really fully experience it. So as this series continues over the next few weeks, I want you to remember a few key things. Um, remember that the habits of grace or spiritual disciplines are not a means to earn God's favor but rather, as the author David Mathis states, the means of grace fleshed out in our various habits of grace are to be for us means of joy in God and thus means 
of his glory. It's about finding joy in the disciplines. It's not a do-do-do where we check boxes so we can be right with God. It's more about having to be able to, or how, having us understand how to experience the joy in grace. I also want us to remember this, that the grace of God is gloriously beyond our skill and technique. The means of grace are not about earning God's favor, twisting his arm, or controlling his blessings, but readying ourselves for consistent saturation in the role of his tithes. We want to put ourselves in this path of grace. The way we do this is through the habits of grace, as I mentioned earlier. And those habits of grace are simply this. Through the word, through the reading of the word, through prayer, and through the fellowship of the saints. These things don't make us better people. They help us experience the grace of God as intended, which results in a life lived in the glory of God. Of the habits of grace, the word of God is fundamental. Okay, without it, all the other things, prayer and fellowship, really don't have a lot to stand on. And so it's important that we begin to understand God's word and at least begin to read it. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, Interesting thing, if you've got your Bible with you, I want you to, if you want, you can open up to this, but I'm just going to kind of read this particular part. In the very beginning of the Bible, in in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, it says this, all of creation came into being on three words, three simple words. And those three words were, and God said. Everything that we see around us hinge on those three words, and God said. Existence didn't exist. He spoke existence into existence by his word, by his powerful, amazing, glorious word. It just, that just blows me away. My, my brain has a hard time getting around it, but that's the truth. When we talk about the word of God, we're talking about the revelation of God through the written word of his Bible. Sometimes we call them the scriptures, sometimes the gospel. But it's more than just words on a page. I want you to understand something about the Bible. It's his self-expression in words. The word of God expresses who he is. And it's in his terms. It just amazes me. We spend a lifetime, don't we? Don't we spend a lifetime looking for God, trying to hear his voice? You know, I, I find it amazing that we spend so much time wandering around in the dark trying to find God's voice when the reality is it's right here. It speaks to us every single day. It's right here written down. So, so, we, so we have it clearly spoken to us. It's not like some weird, vague thing that we have to try to translate somehow. It's here. It's clear. It's solid. And it's been around for a long time. I want to just have you open up your word for just a second to, to John, the book of John. If you have your Bibles with you, if you have an app, you can turn to John 1 for a second. And I kind of want to express to you kind of the importance of of God's word if it hasn't rung home yet. It says this, in the beginning was the word, and this is John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. 
In him was life, and that life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Isn't that comforting? It's always been there. It's always been there. And you know what the word was? The word was Jesus. The word was Jesus. Everything that we read about in the Bible is the testimony of faith pointing us towards the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what this is all about. Now, there's some stuff in there when you read it, you go, "Mm, Jesus is in this? Yeah, because it testifies of God's grace. It testifies of his mercy. It testifies of where we could be without it all. It always points us back. In John 1, we learn that Jesus is the self-expression of God in the flesh. As we read the gospel testimony of his life, death, and resurrection, we see the grace of God in all its glory. Jesus is the word evangelical, meaning transformative and inviting. And when we preach, we preach not words, but we preach the word, and we preach Jesus. I want to have a look at another book that John wrote. I, I love the fact that First John, or the book of John and 1 John sort of mesh together because they're written by the same dude. Um, so we're going to look at 1 John 1. And 1 John 1 says this, and, it's, and it corresponds with, with, with what we just read. It says, and we're going to read through verse, verse 4 of John 1, uh, chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it, and we proclaim it to you, we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This tells us that the testimony of grace, the word of life, is the means to fellowship with the Father and the Son. It comes to the testimony which was shared by the apostles and the prophets and the patriarchs before them. It speaks of the word of Jesus Christ and the love that the Father has for us and the grace that he so greatly wants to share with us and that's available to us. You know, we come to salvation by hearing God's word. In Ephesians 1, chapter 13, it says this, and you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In Romans 10, it says this, consequently, faith comes by the hearing of the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. See, faith comes by hearing this from hearing God's word, from hearing of the testimony that's written here because we hear about the testimony of Christ's life, the way that he lived, he lived out the word and the way that he carried himself and the way that he, he sacrificed himself and how God's rich love was made full in him and how that, that love really came to complete fruition when he died to save us from our sins. Without understanding that, without reading that, we're lost That's how we hear the message about Jesus. So reading God's word is an important habit of grace to embrace, but but we don't. 
Can we be honest? I mean, I'll be honest. I'm not in the Word every day as much as I'd like to be. And oftentimes, this, as worn as it looks, has gathered dust on a shelf. Many of us have maybe an app on our phone, but it sits right next to Candy Crush or Stupid Birds or, or Pandora or whatever it might be. And it gets ignored because it's just it's there. It's amongst a bunch of other apps that we don't use. And a lot of times it's because we just don't know how. It scares us. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll admit I'm older. You can tell. I don't think of myself as older at all, by the way. But as soon as I pick up a phone or a computer or something, I'm like, crud, I am old. Because I don't get it. The technology, like, full-on escapes me. And so I don't know how to fully use this stuff. But I so, I so know how to use this. <laughs> I do know how to use this. But I'll, be, I'll admit, though, even this sort of intimidates me because I don't know how to use it. I don't know what's, you know, it's, it's just kind of weird. You know, and I know a lot of, for a lot of us, or at least it was for me initially, you know, I think of this, it's, it's a really big book. I mean, the paper's really thin. Compared to Harry Potter, I mean, this book is like, when you see Harry Potter, it's like this, but the words are big and the paper's really thick. But even, I mean, I look at that and I think, that's intimidating. This, holy crud. This is intimidating because it's a big book. It's got this ancient text. Words are weird. It's like, whoa, there's numbers all over the thing. It just sort of puzzles me. And so a lot of times it's just easier for me to sit back and, and ah, someone shared a scripture on Facebook. <sighs> That's nice. Scroll, 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 scroll. You know? Or, you know, or, or just to sit and listen to other people talk about it, which is great. I mean, don't get me wrong, sitting and hearing the word in church is an amazing thing to do. It's something that needs to be part of our habits of grace. But at the same time, we don't get it in the depth that we get by just reading, by getting into it. And I think because we don't read the Bible, we oftentimes stumble around in the dark. Don't we? And I, I do. I mean, I admit that. It's like guiding, by, guiding my life by starlight. You know, they're beautiful. They're up there. But crud, they're really hard to see sometimes. You know, or, or trying to guide our life from lamppost to distant lamppost as we stumble through life. Amy Grant put it really well, and she actually quoted a psalm, Psalm 119, 105. It says, Thy word is a lamp for my feet and a light unto my path. This is more than just words on a page. I think I've made that pretty clear. It's a light. It's a guide. It takes us to where we need to go. It's this amazing thing. And it's no, it's no mystery that we, when we struggle in our faith or we lack joy in our lives, when we look back at how much time we spend in God's word or how much time we spend in prayer or how much time we spend in fellowship, fear is found in darkness. And darkness, and fear rather, is an awful thing. John Piper says this about the fight for joy. The central strategy is to preach the gospel to yourself Having the word of the cross and preaching it to ourselves is the central strategy for sinners in the fight for joy. We are in a constant battle with other voices. If you sat through our last series, the last thing we did on, on mental health, Amy was sharing about the voices, about the negative talk that always comes. And when we preach to ourselves, we're fighting against those voices. We're putting another voice in place. We're replacing those voices of defeat, voices of pride, voices of fear, voices of doubt, voices of selfish anger. They're always ripping away at us. But when we put the word into our hearts, 
we start to preach it back to ourselves, we counter those voices. That's an amazing thing. Preaching the gospel to ourselves is both proactive and reactive. It's proactive in that we feed our souls while preparing for the trials that we aren't facing yet. It's reactive in that when we have it embedded within our minds and our hearts, we're ready when the battle actually begins. God's word is the weapon of choice used by the Spirit in our daily defense. Brian shared here a couple weeks ago about the armor of God. In fact, let's take a look back at that for just a second. If you want to turn with me to Ephesians 6, chapter, or verse 17. I think it's up on the screen, so if you don't want to turn to it, you can just look there. It is there. It's there. Good. Um, it says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Look at that again. So here it says the sword of the Spirit. That means the sword belongs to what? It's the Spirit's sword. I mean, it's a sword we get to wield, but it's the Spirit's sword. God's word is what the, the Spirit uses in our lives to defeat the enemy. If we don't have the word imprint, like imprinted on our hearts, it's kind of like the Spirit's got like sting to work with. If you guys know Lord of the Rings, the little short sword. I'm not saying the Spirit doesn't still have power and might and authority to defeat the, the evil one. But when we embed this word on our hearts, if you've ever been in battle and scripture comes up, you get reminded of those things. It's like, wow, it's there. The Spirit's bringing that up. He's wielding that sword in our defense. We can preach to ourselves positive words and platitudes a la any Christian guru, person, dude, mega, whatever, guy. I don't want to mention... Joel, I did. Um, but you can preach like all these positive words forever to yourself. That's great. But unless it's coming straight from the word of God, there's no defense. There's no defense. But if you're like me, it's hard to start something. I like to have a bit of a plan when I get into reading the Bible, okay? Or anything for that matter. So I start off with a plan, then I question the plan, then I rewrite the plan. Then I gotta sketch out the plan. Then you got to resketch the plan because I suck as an artist. And so, and so eventually, after going through all that planning and thinking about how I'm going to actually start reading the Bible, I'm exhausted, so I have to sit down for a minute or 400 and just sort of, just sort of relax, right? And then what happens? I never get into the Word. So the reality of things is here is you just have to do it. You just have to get into God's Word. So... I want to give you a, a little bit of a plan for how you can do this, okay? To how you can get into reading the Bible and not be overwhelmed by it. There's really not a wrong way of doing it, but we have to get over this sense of instant gratification. It's not going to happen like this. It's going to happen like, okay, not, I don't really have a way to plan that out. So, so yeah, so it's going to happen slowly, all right? But the first thing is we have to do is we have to develop a discipline in ourselves of how to go about the approach. And for me, it's all about finding time. We're busy people, right? You guys are students. It's hard to find time, right? Because it's like, and you know, and we have parents. It's like even worse. It's like, ugh, because now it's like I'm not setting my own schedule. Someone else is setting my schedule. And if you're not either of those two things, it's still, ugh, trying to find time, right? I'm going to tell you, the first thing we need to do is find a time and find a space and say, this is it. This is the time that I do it. For me, ugh, I'm going to admit this, 
I get up really stinking early in the morning. I am, now mind you, it's a little easier for me. I don't, I've reached an age where I don't need to sleep as much. I get like five hours a night. So I wake up like at 4.30 in the morning, almost every morning. And I like it because it's cold. I, I think better when it's cold or cooler, coolish, maybe. It's quiet because my wife and my, and my kids aren't up yet, or my kid is not up. They're up, but they're not, they're not downstairs yet. Um, I, I'm making the coffee, so I gotta wait for the water to boil. And we press our coffee, so I gotta wait for the, you know, the coffee grounds to sit for a while. And so I'll just sit in that quiet time. The traffic noise that comes from the freeway hasn't come up, and I can just sit there and just be at peace and read. And, and I don't like read like really deep stuff. I don't, I just, I just scan to start off with. Just scan through it. And as I'm scanning through it, I look for things. So the first thing we want to do in our plan to, to, to start taking in the word is first set a time and just do it. Just read it. Super satisfying to finish a chapter and go, yeah, I finished a chapter. Or even better when you finish a book, yeah. But while we're doing it, we're going to do the second thing, and it is as we're going to look for stuff that jumps out at us. So when I'm reading my Bible, I usually have a highlighter or a pencil, and I take notes in the margins. I've got, my Bible has like margins like this big in it. That's why my Bible looks bigger than it is, but it's not. It's just got huge margins. And as I'm reading, I highlight things, and then I'll make notes in the margins as I'm going along. And that's just kind of like a marker. I'm not going to go deep with it just then, but I'm going to revisit those highlighted spaces later. Eventually, I'm hoping my whole Bible will be completely highlighted because I've chewed on every nugget. I'm not there yet. But what I'm doing is I'm just looking for little nuggets. And I like to think of it this way. We're like gold miners or, or maybe jewel hunters or something like that. And as we're going along, we're looking for jewels. We see it and we stake our claim. Put a little flag by it, right? Because right now, maybe we don't have the tools to dig it all up. So we stake our claim and then we come back to it later and we start to dig away all the debris and the dirt and the stuff that kind of gets in the way so we can get at it, so we can hold it in our hands. And that's the second part, that's study. Study is where we get into the word deeper. We start to look at it. We start to maybe, um, maybe we open up a Bible app on, on, a, on a Bible commentary or we listen to another speaker on a particular subject that the, that the scripture's covering. Um, yeah, maybe something along those lines. But it allows us to, to get in deeper and actually sort of reveal what that, the word is actually saying. Because I'll be honest, sometimes we read the scripture and we'll go, that's eh, exactly speaking to me. But the reality is that has nothing to do with you. I mean, it does eventually. It may not have anything to do with you right there at that time. And oftentimes we'll read these little nuggets of truth like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a, that's a nugget everybody likes to carry around, right? And we'll go, see, I can do anything. I can jump off this cliff and everything will be groovy. No, it won't. You're going to be flat as a pancake when you hit the ground. You have to read the whole scripture in context, and, those, and those, those commentaries and those other study guides will help you. I'm going to advise you, though, on something. If you're going to grab a study book, get help. Don't do it alone. Um, there's a lot of stuff out there, and, and there's, there's some things that are great. There's other things that are maybe not so great. There's some things that whole books are written completely out of context. So if you need help, Ask a pastor or ask someone who you trust who's deep in the word who can help you along with those things. As you get deeper into the word, though, you're going to feel waves of joy beginning to lap at your knees and at your waist. It's going to be awesome. Thirdly, once you've begun to extract the deeper meaning of the word of God and have seen the grace, we want to start to embrace it. 
We want to start really embedding it and placing it in our hearts and making it active in our lives. In Colossians 3.16, it says this, let the message of Christ dwell in you richly. We want the word of God to sit in us deep, deep, deep. When it sits there deeply, we make a connection with it. There are passages of scripture that speak to me so deeply, that move me in such a manner that I literally am overcome. I well, I'm, I'm an emotional guy anyways, but I will well up in tears as I'm reading it because it connects with me so, so much and it changes my life. And in that moment, it's like what I talked about when I'm floating in the waves. I am just overcome with joy. Even though tears are flowing, there are these amazing tears of joy because I am recognizing that this is speaking directly to me and it's not a book that's speaking directly to me. It's God. It's God speaking directly to me through his word and it's amazing. When we begin to ride these waves of grace, we begin to find that all the distractions of the world begin to fade and to fall away. And joy replaces that. It also helps us meditation, what we call this, this time meditation. When we meditate on God's word, it also allows us to have a deeper prayer life. In, in, uh, in the book, Habits of Grace, uh, the author calls meditation the missing link when it comes, be- comes between hearing God's voice and having his ear in prayer. In the book, he quotes William Bates, and he says this, the great reason why our prayers are ineffectual is because we do not meditate before them. So, meditation is where the connections are made and transformation takes place. A lot of times we miss that part. We study, we, we read it, we study it, we don't meditate on it. In Joshua it says, don't let the book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night. I had a grandmother who used to read the word constantly. We'd go and visit them in Kansas, and the Bible would be open on the kitchen counter. It'd be open on the kitchen table. It'd be open on her nightstand. And throughout the day, she would return to that. That, for me, is an amazing thing, to be able to go back and meditate on God's word throughout the day. That's a place where we find peace. That's where we find joy. So in conclusion, I just want to just throw this back at you. The reading of the word is a foundational habit that we need to develop as all the other, all the other disciplines are linked to it. Reading the Bible doesn't make us better people, but it helps us understand God's grace more fully. And it helps us get in line and ready for those waves to overcome us. It doesn't matter how you do it. It's only that you do it. I seriously encourage you that if you're not in the study of God's word, find yourself there. If you're struggling in your faith, put yourself in the word. If you find yourself struggling with joy and depression, that didn't make sense. If you're struggling with a lack of joy, or you're struggling with depression, or if you're struggling with, with just your kids or your job or whatever it is, find yourself in the word. Still yourself in the word of God and let him comfort you. Let him overwhelm you. Let him take you deep into his ocean. Find his grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today. I thank you, God, for this time to share your message. I thank you, Father, for keeping me upright this morning. Um, God, I thank you for your word so much and how great you are. 
in it, how you express yourself through it, how, how you touch our, our lives with it, and how you use it to mold us and shape us every single day. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.